Welcome to the Deal Flow Podcast. Ryan Ray here as always. And today, joined by the man, the myth, the legend himself, John Martinka. How's it going, John? It's going just fine. Okay, give us a quick introduction of kind of who you are, what you do, and where you're based out of. Well, I am based out of uh, the Seattle area, although we have had clients in something like 15 states uh, and Canada. The business is mine and my daughter's. My daughter joined me six years ago. I've been doing this almost 30 years. Got into it through serendipity. And one of the few people that uh, work with buyers on a serious basis, not just uh, um, parts and aspects of of the process and have been doing it for a long time. That's really how I got into this business. And we are not a main street business broker and we're not an investment bank or an intermediary firm in the middle that, uh, you know, lower middle market. Okay. We hear that term a lot, lower middle market, kind of a rough definition for you. When you say lower middle market, what size companies are we talking about? I, you know, it's for us, it's, you know, from the upper end of the SBA loan range, those, those, that deal size, which is, you know, three to six million to, uh, you know, up to 10, 15. Uh, yeah, I think there's all kinds of definitions, but you're, you know, we don't want to compete with the investment bankers and, uh, you know, we've got a nice niche there. Okay. And so you do both buy side and sell side. People may not be familiar with those terms. I mean, it seems pretty obvious, but unpack buy side, sell side. What's the difference? And you said you kind of have a unique angle on, on what you're doing there. So and what is that? Well, if you, if you look at it, at the uh, selling of a business and you, know, you have your, your business brokers and you have intermediary, true intermediaries, as I call them, working way up to investment bankers. And uh, if you're selling a main street business, uh, you know, a deli, a dry cleaner, cleaner, uh, a restaurant um, it's, you know, it tends to be pretty simple stuff. And, you know, those kind of brokers usually aren't dealing with or familiar with how important the balance sheet is or the working capital. And, you know, I like I think the balance sheet is more important than the profit and loss statement. It really gives you a good snapshot of the, of the business. Um, and on the buy side, I mean, it's just keeping buyers on track is tough. Uh I don't know. And I don't know what you've seen, but ever since I got in this business, the numbers that have been thrown around and my good friend Richard Parker uh, has, you know, written a lot on it, writes for Forbes and has said all along, 90% of people who say they will buy a business never do. They're tire kickers uh, for the most part. And the ones that don't get it, but really would like to are just doing things the wrong way. Yeah. I think um, what we see is, People say, oh, yeah, if you got something for sale, let me know. And it's like, well, I'm sure you and everybody else would like to see what might be for sale. Now, we don't, we're not a sell side advisor, so we don't do that, but, you know, we do find companies who are off market who want to sell. But it's, you know, what sellers, in my opinion, or potential sellers, what they want to see is either A, they want to talk to a buyer that's serious, or B, they want to talk to an advisor, intermediary broker, or whatever you call them, that has the skills to take them to market. What they don't want, is someone who, eh, yeah, maybe I might be interested. Yeah, maybe. If it's like, well, yes, theoretically, a lot of people are interested if a lot of things line up. Um, 
but getting people to show that they're serious to your point, I think is, is a good, it, it's, it's, this is not um, a real estate listing where you put the house on the market and people can kind of look and click and check. I mean, most owners aren't interested in that. Not at all. And they're running a business and sometimes buyers forget that. And uh, it, it is a lot more complicated than a piece of real estate. And the, the one key thing is relationships. And I, I use the analogy to chess where the, the, the queen is the most important piece in the game. Uh, and in, in the queen is relationships in the buy and sell. No one is going to buy from or sell to somebody they don't like. And look, we're not talking big corporate deals. We're talking deals where, whether it's a small private equity firm, whether it's an individual with investors or just on their own, they're going to be running the business and have, they have a real financial stake in it personally. And they want, they want to make sure they, they're with a seller that they can trust. And of course the sellers, I mean, I think the one of the things I learned a long time ago that most people don't realize it's not the price. The price is not always number one. It's legacy. It's taking care of the people, things like that. I've, I've seen many deals where there's been uh, more than one offer and it wasn't the highest offer that got the deal because of relationship and the feeling this is the right buyer for my business. Yeah. It's interesting. You say that about relationship and the feel um, I'm curious, you know, you've been doing this longer than me. Um, you're I think two or three years older than me. So not, not by much, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, one of the things that, that, that I've learned is most business owners, they don't know much about M&A because it's just not something they've ever dealt with. They may have had a buddy who sold and he didn't tell them a lot about it because it's kind of a personal thing. And so um, if you hop on the phone with them and you start throwing around big kind of buttoned up fancy numbers and slang jargon, they're going to go, I don't know what you're talking about. You've kind of lost me. They're just people who want to be spoken to like they're people and listen to what they're talking about. And it, it does seem that part of the problem uh, some buyers can have is going out there trying to impress the owner. And to me, the way you impress them is you talk to them just like a human, like you would just a normal guy or gal on the phone. Let's talk about this. And to your point, legacy, money, we, we see that a lot. People say, oh, you know, if you give me an offer, I can't refuse. Well, then you start talking to them and go, well, you know, really, it's it's a, it's a reasonable offer, actually. I just, you know, they don't even know what it, they don't even know what a reasonable offer is. And so, there's educating them, but you got to educate them in a way that doesn't feel like you're being condescending. You're, you're actually trying to truly educate someone uh, to help them understand. Yeah, and sometimes buyers don't understand when you say that, you know, when they say, oh, give me, give me a price that, you know, it's unbelievable. Um, is it, These owners are sharp and they're, they're, they play it coy. They're not going to come out and say, yeah, I'm going to sell and I want to sell tomorrow. So whatever you offer me, I'm going to take to get out of here. They're not, you know, they're sharper than that, even if they are motivated to sell. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so you mentioned kind of that that upper end of the SBA, uh, three to five million. Um, it, it's 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 an interesting space because I, I see this debate online about buying a job versus buying a business. Now, you you know that the company that I I own, there, there's two partners, and we own and operate the business. And some people would say, well, that, that's a job. And oh, okay, maybe it is a job, but it's kind of the business we have structured the way we like it structured. Um, what advice would you give? to buyers who think that, yeah, I'm serious about buying. Um, is there a difference between buying a business, buying a job? How do you make that determination? Because 
could we take our company and make it into quote a a business that you could be sellable? Yes, it's not our interest, but the levers are there for us to pull. So I'm always curious to see what people say. Don't buy a job that well. Maybe buying a job you can scale it to a quote business if you will, pretty easy. But there seems to be a big debate around that if if that's a good thing or a bad thing. What, I know you kind of play a, on the upper end of that scale, so you probably don't see that a lot. But what is your thought about that for buyers who are trying to find a company? Well, let's make one thing clear, especially when it's an individual or a couple individuals, you are buying a job. It's just, do you want to buy a job where you're working in the business or on the business or transitioning from some in to on? If you're buying the, you know, the corner deli or dry cleaner, you're going to be working in the business. It's a job in the business. Now, if you're buying 10 dry cleaning locations, you're running a real business and you're, you're supervising hiring and firing and ordering and logistics and operations, et cetera, finance. And so do you think buyers, do you think most buyers have a good grasp of what they're getting into either side of that coin? So, it, you know, to manage 10 dry cleaners, Yes, it can be done, but that is, that's hiring, firing, HR stuff. There's a lot of stuff that goes on there, right? Um, yeah. Owning a deli, there's still things, but the the scale and the, the pressures, the pressures are different. Do you find that buyers are educated well uh, about what, what the difference in that is and what they're really getting themselves into? I think they are up to, we'll say at that 80% level, but I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, uh, I'm going to give a quote from a, uh, a buyer from many years ago who who said uh, he was overwhelmed. And he said, I'm not overwhelmed with the business. I'm overwhelmed with, I, I didn't realize coming out of the corporate world or in a management executive level that I had to know how everything worked, what it looked like when it was done right, who was to do it, the timing, et cetera. You know, there was no, no third level assistant to say we're out of, you know, we, we need copier paper. You know, you got to be on top of stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, <laughs> you are right. Uh, even back at my previous company that I uh, ended up buying and selling, you know, we'd go work for large, you know, we'd be hired out by large oil and gas companies and you would just see how they would work and talk and think. And it's like, man, I, that world is so foreign to, to what a small business, a small yeah. business actually is that, that, that is, that is a huge step. So, well, uh, let me let me let me add to some something on that because we have a client right now where it's a it's a very focused sale to someone in the industry because they they've been a struggling a little there was a death of uh, uh, the the founder and that but they they had hired a family member who came out of the oil and gas industry and it was a disaster he approached it like a big oil and gas company this is a ten million twelve million dollar a year in sales company and he set it back. And it happened the same time that the founder was dying. So if they're going to sell, it's going to be to someone who's in the industry. Yeah. And so on that, um, maybe transition a little bit to the to the sales side here. You mentioned legacy is a big thing. Uh, and deals can fall apart for legacy. They can fall apart for a lot of reasons, as you know, money being one of them for sure. Uh, but legacy is part of it. Um, as a sales side advisor, you're going out and trying to convince Bob to, to take his company to market. Um, 
how do you advise him to think about legacy? Because it is important, but it's also unpredictable, right? It's really hard unless you're going to a group that has a track record of buying and growing companies. It's really hard to know if this person can preserve your legacy. So do you kind of brief them that, hey, legacy is important, but also understand that there's there's no assurances that the legacy can be continued. That's that's very that's very true, and um, you know, uh, you know, these are smart people. So that you know, you go over the old, the old line. What does your gut tell you? You got a gut feel for this person. Do you trust them? Do you like them? Does it is everyone who buys a business as good as they think they are? No, uh, it it is different than the corporate world, and it is a different mindset. So it really comes down to relationship, trust. Just what do you feel? Uh, and it, it does go both ways, but especially for a seller, because, you know, they want to get fully paid. And there's in these size deals, these, you know, three, five, ten million dollars, there's usually is some kind of seller note or earnout. Yeah. So what, what do you think from a seller's perspective? Should how when should they? Of course, some of these deals are a little bit on the small side. Maybe they don't qualify for a, a PE platform. Maybe you have an add-on. Um, but how do you advise a seller on whether or not they should consider PE as a potential buyer? Well, first you have to analyze what they do and what size they are. Will a PE firm be interested? And uh, you know, for both a platform or a, a bolt-on acquisition, um, there's a you know, we were marketing a firm last year and it, it was in the $20 million valuation range. And, you know, we've, you know, a lot of PE firms, no, thank you. Our minimum is 5 million of EBITDA. And there are others that were, that minimum isn't, isn't there. They're smaller, they have more boutique PE firms. Uh, but if you're not large enough or, you know, you don't, you really can't pinpoint investment groups, whether it's a PE or family office in your industry, that would be a bolt on. Um, you really need to think there's, uh, it's going to be an individual. It's going to be, you know, a term that's been floated around lately is micro PE. It may be friends and family are, are investing uh, a step above the search funder, but people who are putting in a chunk of their own money, but also getting some other investment. So they can do a, a larger deal than an individual can usually do on their own. And so generally speaking, if they qualify for PE, let's just say they do, or a searcher, how do you advise owners, sellers to think about which path might be right? Because they both have a different feel, um, you know, just because of who they are. Or is it at that point you just, like you said, it's just kind of a gut thing. Well, the, a seller can't choose to say, I want to sell to private equity. I want to sell to an individual. The business determines that. So you've got a business making a million dollars a year and it's going to sell for four to five million on roughly. Uh, you don't have a choice on who, who's going to want to want to do it. Who's going to want to buy it? Right. The market is going to tell you who's going to want to buy it. And, you know, just like a company that's got three, four million dollars of, of earnings, you, the market doesn't say, oh, an individual. Right. Right. So 
what are some mistakes that you see from a buyer's perspective? I think we both agree there's plenty of tire kickers out there, but but you know, for for us, for us to run a search for a buyer, they had to pay us up front. We're not just going to go, you know, hey, we'll send you something. Come, we're not sales side yeah. advisors. It's not what we do, but we'll go find you something, um, which weeds out most of most of those searchers who aren't really looking for something. Um, but on the sales side side, uh, sell, the seller side, right? How do you distinguish or how do you advise them? Because I mean, you may talk about your process a little bit, but you know, essentially you're going to, I'm guessing, go get given under NDA, look at the financials, look at customer concentration. Uh, but are things like assignable contracts, are they really that big of a deal? Um, is it, or is it more just ownership structure? How far removed is he, from, or he or she from the business? Uh, EBITDA, like, like what are the most important elements you would say for a seller right now going, yeah, I might want to sell. What do I need to know to, to, prepare, to prepare myself? Well, you know, things like the signable contracts do come into play, and there's a lot of peripheral things that come up in, in a deal and it's due diligence. And, you know, it could be contracts. I mean, we worked on a deal a long time ago, and the company had 300 apartment leases, uh, long-term leases, that they then uh, rented out on a monthly, quarterly basis to large corporations who be, bring people in for training or new hires, et cetera. You know, these are really nice, nice apartments and they were furnished, et cetera, et cetera. 300 leases. Well, it had that leases were, say, assignable. So it was a stock transaction. So they all went with the deal. Um, it, you do run into that peripheral stuff. But let me give you the, the top things that a seller should be concerned with. Uh, number one, have good financial systems and accurate financial statements. I mean, too often with these businesses, the the owner, the founder, you know, looks at the accounting department as the weak little redheaded stepsister off in, off in the corner. And, you know, oh yeah, someone's got to keep track of that. Just do it. You know, I don't want to know. I just, I, I know there's money in the bank. Uh, show you can grow. Uh, being just saying, oh, there's a lot of potential, and look if you did this and that and the other thing, how how much you more you'd make, how much growth you'd have, you know, show you can do it and document that. Uh, prove you can uh, hire and retain great people. You know, pay them well, give them responsibility, uh, all all of that stuff, and. Maybe, you know, as, as important or maybe more important than on the financial statement stuff is uh, dependencies. You mentioned customer concentration. I'd say the biggest one is uh, owner an owner dependency. Mm. The owner is the only one who can do certain Im important tasks. Right. Yeah. And we talk to owners sometimes and they're very proud of that. And we're like, okay, just so you know, good for you. I'm glad you run the company, but but you've got to convince someone to come in and replace you. And you've got a ton of knowledge that it's not maybe transferable today, tomorrow or next week. And so this is going to be a process. Do you want to stay around? Oh, no, no, no. I want to sell and exit the business tomorrow. It's like, well, <laughs> we've, we've now hit a, hit a wall here, which is how are you going to transfer this information to them? And so do you, uh, I mean, I think when we talk to sellers, we say, you know, a year or two to kind of have a mentality to stay on. Like what is your recommendation for sellers if they want to sell? Like how long should they prepare to stay on mentally? 
Well, every you know every deal is different. There's you know the smaller deals, a lot of them where it's less technical. The seller's going to be out in three months, but there's other ones where the seller needs to stay for customer relationships or whatever it is. And 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 what you just mentioned about you know the sellers and uh, you know how they talk about how important they are. I've had a line for a long time that uh, the seller who goes to the golf course or their club or wherever else and tells everyone how important they are to the business then tells the buyers uh yeah i don't do much i, I you know anyone could do what i do uh, you know i don't work <laughs> that hard so right it's a two-edged sword um uh, buyer you know sellers have to uh shed themselves of things below their pay grade and let delegate let people run with it that makes it a stronger company you know they I had a company I'm on the board of, but before I was on the board, one I, I, you know, one of the owners knew I had written something and said, if you can go to New Zealand for three weeks and you come back and the company's just as well off or better, you, you know, you've built a good team. And he wrote me, he says, Wait, I went to New Zealand for three weeks and everything is just fine. <laughs> okay. So uh, up against the clock, a few minutes left here, a couple more rapid fire questions, if you will. Uh, you mentioned financials. Um, when we talk to sellers and their financials are out of order, we say, hey, maybe a fractional CFO that understands M&A might be someone to come in here and get. Do, do you go outsource fractional? Because sometimes they're, they're concerned that, they're, that their accounting team might look at the books and start asking questions. Internal CPA, if the books are a mess right now and they know it, who do you say is the best person to get them get their books in order um, so that they can you know potentially go to market? Fractional CFO or controller type. Uh, and a lot of times it's, uh, you know, I'll look at things and I'll ask questions. I'll highlight stuff and I'll, I'll ask questions and they don't have the answers. And they say, well, I talked to my bookkeeper. They don't really know why this is the way it is. I said, you need some help. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And it, it's funny. I, I was talking to someone about a certain company. I was talking to someone who advised them and I said, how confident are you in their financial statements? And he said, oh, a hundred percent. And I said, no, why are there balance sheet items on the income statement? <laughs> right right so fractional cfo okay next question is seller right now listening and they consider themselves a main street business um and they're trying to grow to be maybe a small business or kind of that lower middle market range um what is give me maybe three targets you mentioned kind of ownership uh removing ownership from business um maybe one but um is it is it you know uh, uh, getting that EBITDA to a certain number is it uh customer contract if you said hey here's two or three things two or three goals that you should work to to get your company sellable just off the cuff what would they be yeah and without knowing a specific company and what it is I think it, it's more the general things I just mentioned of uh you know good financial statements no dependencies that's customer concentration employee uh, dependency, uh, even so supplier dependency. I've had, I remember banks looking at, uh, and a, a loan and looking at the, the companies that had a dominant supplier and they, they did due diligence on the supplier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it, so it's, it's take care of the general things and the little things will fall into place. Um, you know, one of the, you talked to, we talked about assignable contracts. HR is in that area. I mean, I, I'll bet you 80% of small businesses are not up to compliance level on their HR stuff. The states keep putting, and the feds, more and more rules, regulations, et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah. Okay. And then um, final thing. And then uh, so I'll pop up my computer. I forgot. Let's see. I was going to say. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So certain businesses, obviously, you know, if you have a subscription business with annual contracts, everyone loves that. Those are, if they're signable, they're easy to yeah. sell. Some businesses, though, they're like general contractors. We hear a lot from M&A guys or you know, buyers or whatever. They don't want general contractors for a lot of reasons. But there's a handful of types of businesses that fall in that category. They're not necessarily appealing. Um, so if someone's spoken to an advisor or a buyer, they go, yeah, your business really isn't appealing. Now, is it is it something that you should focus on growth potentially or maybe expand your services to where you can get maybe more contract-based work that's more MRR or AR-based? What's the what's the key for those companies who maybe are more um, you know engineering or stuff like that, that they're a little bit harder to sell, uh, but they do want to sell? Is, is it just growing? Is it just finding the right buyer timing? What, what's the big thing for those guys? Well, it is grow growing always plays a part in it. Uh, you know, you mentioned engineering, you, you know, there's a good chance you're going to sell to another engineering firm. So prepare it for that. You're right on general contractors. We're working with one now and you have a deal, but it's a much lower multiple uh, than it would be if it was a B2B manufacturing trucking companies. Also, you're going to get a lower multiple. Okay. All right, John. Uh, I'm going to put this in the show notes for, for people who want to find you. Uh, where should they go? Uh, what website you want to send them to? Social media, anything like that? Well, we've actually got two websites. Uh, MartinkaConsulting.com is what we do for buyers. And Nokomis Advisory is for sellers. N-O-K-O-M-I-S-Advisory.com. And I've got four books on buying, selling, growth by acquisition. And you can link on my our websites or go to Amazon and just put my name in, John Martinka. Okay, we'll list the websites and the books all in the show notes. John, thanks for coming on today. Hey, my pleasure.